open your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 12. We started going through the book of Romans verse by verse. Uh, we started in chapter 1, verse 1, and now we're to chapter 12, so um, with some different sermons in between. But it's exciting to uh, get back to Romans 12, and obviously when you, when you get, the first word is therefore, so you, you need a little review. Hopefully you remember something from chapters 9, 10, and 11, and we'll get into chapter 12 this morning. Hear now God's word, the first two verses. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Anytime the, an author uses the word therefore, which is what starts this text, it's a conclusion of something. I think the easiest way to get you into the text is just move back to chapter 11, verse 32. Um, there he's kind of almost concluding. He doesn't do it for a few more verses. But in verse 32 of chapter 11, he says, For God has shut up all, and the all there is all, meaning the nation of the Jews and the Gentiles, both groups, they are both shut up in disobedience so that he may show mercy to both groups, to all. And he talks about how unfathomable and irrevocable is this mercy. So having spoken in chapter 9, 10, and 11, that you can't be saved in any other way than by grace, than by God being merciful and kind and good to you. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. The fact that you can't get saved but by grace, then we come out of that bondage to sin through God's mercy and God's mercy alone. We're shut up in that category of unsaved until the mercy of God invades our lives and changes us. There's no salvation without mercy. You get down to chapter 12, therefore, since you're saved by grace, since the mercies of God have entered you, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Because you're saved by mercy, he wants us, you to see, he wants me to see, we're motivated by mercy. And that's a concept that seems foreign to our world. In other words, therefore, because of the mercies of God, it's going to change your life. And he mentions two particular areas. You're going to be involved in living holy sacrifices before God. Verse 1. And then verse 2, you're going to be renewed in your mind. You're going to be thinking differently because of the mercies of God. There will be obvious changes in your behavior. And it's all as a result of the mercies of God. Now let me show it to you in a different way. Maybe we can get into it. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 14, 15, maybe verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 says, For the love of Christ... Now, when you go through the scriptures, you'll see uh, almost in a, uh, a, a, that certain words are synonymous, almost. There are some differences. But love, especially in the Old Testament, loving kindness was synonymous with mercy. The mercies of God. So here, think that way. For the mercies of Christ controls us. So the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. Now stop and think about that for a minute. He says, the love of Christ or the mercies of Christ control you because he died for you. Because he died for you, that changes everything so that now you don't live for yourselves anymore. We don't go around posting ourselves about ourselves all the time. We're more interested in he who died for us. See, our lives change from this worldly perspective where it's all about us to now we're being controlled by one who gave us such mercy that our sins were pardoned. And we were freed and unleashed from bondage. And so now when we communicate, we want to communicate about the grace and mercy of God that has changed us. Our lives are controlled that way. Verse 17, the same passage says, Therefore, if you are in Christ Jesus, you're a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have begun you're different now. And that's where we are in Romans chapter 12. We're to the place in the book that says, because of all of this mercy that God's unloaded on us, it's going to change our behavior. Chapters 12 through 16 is all about really behavior modification. How our behavior, our lives are changed. And how are they changed? By the mercies of God. Think about, again, Romans 12. Because of what Christ has done, it changes us. Now, how many expensive treatment centers are there in existence for those who are addicted to certain behaviors? And we're addicted to stuff like anger, abuse, alcohol, pornography, Sex, money, whatever. It just goes on and on and on. And you can go to treatment centers for all of these things, and the world's treatment centers have a very small margin of success. And yet Christ comes into our lives, and He says, I can break the bondage of your addictions. I can free you from that which has held you down. And instead of you being addicted and in bondage over and over again, by the mercies of God, you can be set free because Christ will take your dead heart 
and give it the blood of Christ and you will begin to live. You will be made alive together with Christ and you will be a new creation. Old things, the old addictions gone and you will begin to live with renewed uh, thinking and you will begin to present living, holy sacrifices unto God. That's the difference between us Christians and the world is we have experienced the life-changing, unfathomable, irrevocable mercies of Christ that control us and change us and grant us freedom to do what the world can't even think about. Mm. Hope you begin to see the beauty of this passage. I want to just spend time this morning on how we are highly motivated by mercy, which is just a phrase. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Next week, I'll deal with the living holy sacrifices more. The week after that, Lord willing, I will deal with the renewed thinking, the, the outcome, the behavior modification, the changes that occur. But I want you to first see the need for motivation. We are pardoned by mercies. Mercies enable change of behavior. And we seek so many things for change of behavior. How many books have you read? I talked about two books this morning. I don't know where the book club came from. But anyway, how many books have you read on behavior modification? How many parenting classes have you gone to for Behavior modification. How many teacher training classes are on behavior modification? And the behavior modification is based on the mercies of God. Probably zero. You don't take classes today on how the mercies of God provide behavior modification. And yet Romans 12, 1, it says, Therefore, by the mercies... Of God. Let's change. Let's begin being living holy sacrifices to God. Let's begin a renewal of our thinking. Our behavior changes by the mercy of God, and yet the world doesn't know what that means, how to change behavior by the mercies of God. What does the world do? Behavior modification, for the most part, is based on fear. You better straighten up, young man, or else fear the wrath of your parent. Fear the wrath of your teacher. Fear the wrath of the principal. Fear the wrath of the government. Whatever. Our behavior needs to be modified or else. That's what the world knows. Behavior modification based on fear. The Christian is to know behavior modification based on mercy. By the mercies of God, therefore, present your bodies a living, holy sacrifice, pleasing to God. Renew your mind um, with a new way of thinking about everything. Let me share it with you a different way. Romans 8.32. You can go back. Romans 8.32 I spent a whole sermon on just that one verse. 
Romans 8 is a powerful chapter on God's love and grace, adoption of us as His people. If you remember Romans 8.32, it's one of my just go-to passages of Scripture to remind me of how blessed to be a child of God. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not with him freely give us all things. Now think about that. He who did not spare his own son. God gave his son to us. He delivered him over to the wrath of God for us. He delivered him over to this cross to take punishment for us. If he would be so gracious to us as to give us his son, he's invested so much, how will he not back that up by giving us everything we could possibly need? So in other words, if the mercy of God has already given you Christ, then it's the mercies of God that will give you everything else you will possibly need. You won't need to do it because of fear. You will need to live your life because of mercy. Christ is going to continue. If he's give, God has given you mercy, he's going to continue. He's invested too much in a mercy program not to continue the mercy program. It's by the mercies of God that our lives are going to be modified, not by fear. Now, this is consistent with salvation by grace. You see, if salvation is by grace, then motivation is by mercy. If salvation is by works, then motivation is by fear. And there are a lot of people who think they're saved by grace, and yet they live as though they're saved by works because they're still acting as though, I better straighten up or I'm going to hell. I've got to earn my way out from under God's wrath, out from under His judgment, and I've got to still earn my way out of hell. That mindset is salvation by works. Salvation by grace. You're motivated by mercy, not by works. When God saves us, when he gives us his son, is he going to put his son in hell now? Christ is in me. Hell is off the table. The wrath of God is off the table. Christ took that for me. I don't have to run through life expecting to be gotten by God if I don't straighten up. Off the table. And so it's not fear that's going to motivate me. It's the mercies of God that are going to motivate me. Because I've already gotten so much from God. I've also gotten the promise that through His mercies, everything, whatsoever I need, is going to be granted. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all... How will he not with him freely give us all things? Now, that's good news. That's good news. Stop and digest it a moment. Because 
you're not likely to hear it a lot of other places. And a lot of people still don't understand it. Which is why going through the scriptures, you begin to, to see a, a, a building argument, chapter 9, 10, 11, and the therefore is crucial. It says, all of this talk about salvation being by grace and by mercy radically changes your life. And he wants us to see that, the good news of salvation by Christ, the gospel. You know, God doesn't say, God so hated the world that you better straighten up or he's going to get you. That's not John 3.16, is it? See, good news, God so loved. God so poured out mercy and kindness that if you would trust in Christ, you would not perish. The good news is based on mercy. It's not based on fear. Yet so many people are still in bondage to sins and addictions because they're using works and fear as a motivator. It's, it's just ignorance of the gospel. One of my passions as your pastor is to get you to see in the next, this week and the next two motivation by mercy. It's just sad for me to counsel people who are in the same addiction week after week after week after week. And they don't have freedom from bondage. They don't see Christ is the bondage breaker. That he's, he's taken them out from under the power of sin by his mercy. And when they begin to trust Christ, if, if you can't get out of your addicted behavior, if you can't see freedom, you're either still working under a fear and work system, or you need Christ. Come to Christ. When Christ makes this dead heart alive, he busts addictions and bondage, and we begin to behave differently. He causes us to behave differently. When the blood of Christ literally is in our veins, moving through us, it changes everything. Christians, we need mercy, and mercy will motivate us. Um, as I was thinking about that, I said, well, maybe I need to deal with Motivation by fear. Motivation by fear is, is an absolute poor substitute for motivation. We, the primary motivation for sanctification is the mercies of Christ. Primary motivation. If you want to make students complete in Christ, if you want to make your husband complete in Christ... If you want to make your wife complete in Christ, if you want to make your children complete in Christ, the primary motivating factor for becoming complete in Christ is the mercies of God. And if you don't see the importance of the mercies of God, you will not grow in sanctification. You will not become complete in Christ. What will fear do for you? 
Fear drains you, fear distracts you, and fear depresses you. And depression in America is at an all-time high. And here's one of the reasons. They're using fear as a motivator. Fear drains you. People are running on empty and tired and busy all the time. Fear drains you. Fear distracts you. It gets you thinking wrong thoughts and getting caught up in fake stuff. Mercy frees you from all of that. Let me just go, with, go through that a little bit. First of all, fear drains you. If your view is that you better straighten up or else, then it's like an attacker who's chasing you and you're running and that attacker is coming. It looks like faster and faster and you're running and you're running. And fear is a bad motivator. It motivates for a while. You're running from this attacker. But at some point, what happens? You get tired if the attacker keeps coming. And at some point, you get exhausted. You get drained. And in your mind, you start, start thinking, I would rather face the attack than the pain of this exhaustion. And so you give up. And you get attacked. Fear drains you to that point. You just run and you run. And so many people are running on empty and they're drained. They're exhausted emotionally because they are afraid. If I don't do it, if I don't get there, I'm going to be swallowed up. And mercy changes all of that because Christ isn't coming to get us. Christ is running after us too. So as Christ runs after us, guess what? When he catches up, he doesn't get us. He gifts us. He gives us everything we need to be radically conformed to the image of Christ. And so it doesn't drain us at all to be pursued by Christ and to be gifted by Christ. He prepares a table before me in the presence of of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Christ doesn't drain us with mercy, but he fills us up with mercy and it motivates us to live the life that he wants us to live. Secondly, think about fear. Not only does it drain us, but it distracts us. If, if you're thinking that you're going to be overwhelmed, you're going to die, you're going to hell or whatever, if you don't do certain things, what a distraction from the real truth. That Christ is not in the business of being mean to us of getting us. Where does the Bible ever say, because God so hated the world, he just destroys it? It's constantly telling us of our need for God's mercy and grace. Look at Romans 2. Again, remind you of this maybe from a different perspective. Romans 2, 4 and 5. says, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness? There's that word again. It says, the loving kindnesses of God, the mercies of God. And here it, it, it describes it, 
the mercies of God are rich. Do you think lightly of this richness that's ours in the kindness, in the mercies of God, and the tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Don't you see? God's really not interested in wiping you out and destroying you. He's interested in granting you love and kindness in rich, overwhelming supply. And yet we run from God instead of running to God. He says, you should see mercy and you should run to God. You see God coming, whoa, turn around, let me come, let me meet him. Because he's going to grant us an overwhelming supply of love and grace. How about the prodigal son? Remember him? Wasn't he distracted? He takes all of the wealth of his dad, he goes and he squanders it all, and after he squanders all the wealth, he gets a job on a hog farm. And he's feeding hogs. And he realizes as he's feeding hogs, I don't even make a, enough wage. So I don't know what minimum wage was. But he says, my wage is not sufficient to buy good hog food. He's, that's where he comes to his senses. He said, this does not make sense. This is not a rational life. To not make enough to even eat like a hog. At that point, he thinks, what am I doing running from dad? I could go back to dad even if I was a hired servant. It would make more sense. And surely dad would hire me. In other words, he begins to think, dad's really not mad. A godly father doesn't condemn his son. A godly father loves his son. No matter what. And so the prodigal runs back into the loving arms of his father. He had been distracted from that truth. Running with fear, I, better, I can't go back. It'll be miserable. Everybody will hate me. They'll ridicule me. Running, on, running with fear is the motivator. distracts you from the mercy and kindness of God. That what, is what radically changes us. When he runs back home to the love of the Father, he's radically changed, and his life becomes of value and significance again. And then thirdly, fear not only drains, fear not only distracts, but fear uh, depresses us greatly. We begin to think that uh, we need to work, 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 work. Yeah, we're distracted. Well, if we don't work, what happens? We get to condemned, and so if we... Our work doesn't measure up. We expect condemnation, and that's depressing. If I work all through life, and I fail miserably the last week of life, do I get condemned? How depressing a view. And so many people have that view that I've got to work. I've got to make the scale of my good works better than somebody else's, or I won't make it. And it just depresses people. Why is God punishing us. I remember a guy coming to church here years ago. His name was Terry. And he woke up one Sunday morning 
and he just had this conviction he needed to be in church. He didn't want to go to church that morning. He gets in the car and he comes to church and on his way coming down Greenville Street, he's going 45, 50. I think the speed limit's 35. I'm bad with speed limits. You know that. So he gets a speed ticket. Comes into church and uh, I could tell something was wrong. I said, Terry, what's bothering you, man? He says, says, why is God punishing me? I said, what do you mean? He says, I knew if I didn't go to church, God was going to punish me. And then I come to church And because I came to church too fast, I got punished. I can't get away from the punishment. I said, that's depressing. That's depressing. If you live your life always expecting to be punished and then seeing sign after sign of being punished to reinforce you're going to be punished. You don't yet understand the mercies of Christ. Christ didn't wake you up to punish you. Christ didn't have you coming down Greenville Street to punish you. You've been working, fearing, condemnation. And it's depressing to go life that way. Your need is for Christ. You remember Lamentations 3? You know this verse. You might want to look at it again. It's just such a beautiful passage, but maybe you've forgotten the context. Lamentations, the word lamentations means lament. It means that Jeremiah, who is writing it, is crying. And as he's crying, he's crying. Why? Because his house has just been taken from him. It's been burned up and destroyed. He's watching, sitting on a hill, Jerusalem burn up, be destroyed. By the Babylonians, they've destroyed his city. And so he's sitting in ashes, watching things around him that he loved and care about burn up. And in the midst of that example, he says, But the Lord's loving kindness, Jeremiah, excuse me, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Lamentations 3, 22. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. How do you continue to be motivated when your life is burning up? And Jeremiah says, I'm not motivated by having the good house and the good city. I'm motivated by the mercies of God. And they never fail. They never cease. Every morning I wake up and he overfills my cup. He fills with my joy that I am His, that I'm saved. Hell and wrath are off the table. I will be with Christ in glory. So instead of letting fear depress Him, mercies overwhelm Him. Even in the midst of national tragedy. Therefore, by the mercies of God, See, our behavior should be different. We can offer unto God living holy sacrifices because we have the mercies of God. We think different thoughts because we have the mercies of God. This really separates sheep from goats. When you start to really drill down on what are the behavioral differences between Christians and non-Christians. 
And Christians are those who are motivated. Our internal heart motivation are mercies. And you don't see that in the world. And you don't see it in those who proclaim to be Christians and are not. So again, motivation by fear needs to go. Motivation by mercy. It's going to produce two outcomes. Let me introduce them to you quickly. Verse 1, this says, um, By the mercies of God to present your bodies a living, holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. God makes it uh, clear there that our lives are somehow a sacrifice. After the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, which is when the book of Romans was written, you didn't need sin offerings anymore. The ritual sacrifices that happened in the church during that day were sin offerings and burnt offerings. Well, the sin offerings went off the table immediately after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. So passages that deal with offering are not talking about offering ourselves up for Christ. I mean, for sin, Christ has already done that for us. But it's an offering of ourselves like a burnt offering was in the Old Testament. And those burnt offerings, that's, that's where you set aside the lamb, the dove, the seed. That's where, you, and it, it became the holy part, a holy sacrifice. Holy meant set apart for Christ. It was your first fruits. It was your tithe. You set that apart as being untouchable. I can't touch that because it doesn't belong to me. That's my first fruits. That part belongs to Christ, to God. And he said, that's the way our lives will become. We will become holy sacrifice. We are the set apart part of God's creation. We have been set apart, made sacred, made holy, made precious for God. Not to be touched except by God. We are His. Radically different concept than the way the world thinks about themselves. We think about ourselves as we belong to God. We are His part. We are the part He is redeeming, His redeemed people. The part of humanity that's precious to Him. And so since we are that part, we need to present ourselves as that part. We need to live as that part. That's some of what's going on here in verse 1. We're not some dead ritual to God. We're very precious, set apart. And he says, to present your bodies, our physical bodies as well as our souls, are presented to God. So our mouths speak His praise. Our feet run to do His will. Our hands are what He wants us to be involved in. Our eyes are looking at what God wants us to look at. See, all of our life becomes His, for His part. That's what verse 1 is uh, dealing with there. Uh, we're not trying to kill sin. Sin's been killed by Christ. We're seeing Him remove the sin from us through pardon. And just quickly, my translation says, this is your spiritual Service of worship. The word spiritual, I've got a marginal note in my Bible. I don't know if you do. If you've got one, you look at, look at it and it'll say logical. The word spiritual is the same word translated as logical or rational. In other words, living life this way is the only way that makes sense. It's logical living. 
It's spiritual living. It's rational living. If you live any other way, you're a crazy person. It would be insane to have the mercies of God that has saved you and you not live this way. Which is why you're going to be different from the world. It's the only life that makes sense. Because I have been changed by Christ. I must be different because of Christ. Well, verse 2, renew thinking. And don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Uh, he assumes that there's a pattern for this world and there's a pattern for those of us in Christ. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed now that you've received mercy. You're motivated by mercy to think differently, to do life differently, to know God's will. And we're going to talk about how to know God's will. It's perfect, acceptable for us. Give you a couple of verses real quick just so you can see. Uh, maybe this uh, a little faster. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Some things that are just implied through living the Christian life. Colossians 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you, with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, what's implied? Not that so much that we just sing to God and sing to one another. But I want you to see what's implied is that the Word of God is dwelling within us richly. See, by the mercies of God, you are motivated in, God, what is your will? You're motivated to get into the Bible and begin reading it and memorizing it. So that it, it changes you. When the Word of God is in you richly, you might have grown up and never sung a word in your life. So I don't sing. Nobody wants to hear me sing. But when the Word of God starts dwelling within you richly, you begin to sing. You say, it's the only logical life is to praise my Redeemer. I must sing praise to Him. And I must sing to you folks. I must tell the world. I must admonish. I must teach. I must let people know of the joy that is mine in Christ. See, that's logical. That makes sense to have that kind of life. And it happens by the Word of God. Our minds get renewed through the Word of God. And the Word of God is richly within us. Another passage, Ephesians 4, 22. Ephesians 4, 22 says, and 22, 23, 24, says that in reference to your former manner of life, so this is non-Christian life, in reference to that, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. The non-Christian is in a state of corruption through lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Again, it's a great contrast presented there. The non-Christian life is not renewed in truth. It's renewed in, it's not even renewed. The, the non-Christian mind is just spinning in a lust of deceit. Non-Christians really can't get away from fake news. 
and they lust after more of it. But the Christian's mind is being renewed in holiness and in absolute truth from God. It radically changes us because we think differently. That's the glory of having God change us and then motivate us. You start tasting the absolute truth of God. When you, you, you get in a circle of, of non-Christians and they say, well, I don't know what to do. We've got to do this. I think we ought to do this. And I'm sitting there thinking, what does the Bible say? And after you've tasted the good word of God and you know it to be absolute truth, you immediately I'm free from this deceit. I'm free from this fakeness. I know the direction that I need to go. My God's not dumb. He's not stupid. He's filled me with His truth and it directs perfectly in the way we should go. It's a way of holiness and it's a way of righteousness. And he says, when the mercies of God come into you, that's what's starting to happen. Is you're going to be renewed in your thinking. So that you begin to think God's thoughts after God. And God's thoughts are absolute and they're perfect. And they're righteous and they're holy. And you're going to escape the bondage that this world is under. And that's glorious. Our minds are renewed. That's a natural outcome, logical outcome of being in Christ. Well, I'm out of time. How do you get motivated by mercies? Just quick application. I hope you're beginning to see mercy's a much better motivator than fear, which drains and distracts and depresses. And again, I say, if you say, well, how do I get fear not to be a motivator? If you can't figure that out, you need Christ. Only Christ can give you mercy as a motivator. So come to Christ. The book, Gentle and Lowly, he's gentle and lowly. He's not out to get you. He's out to gift you with his gentleness, with his kindness, with his mercy. You come to Christ, and because of the mercies of Christ that pardoned you from all of your sin, then you begin to live for him. And he says, he says to do that, to be to start a new life of being motivated by mercy. Let me give you three things. First of all, focus on the mercies of God that save us. First, focus on the mercies of God that save us. How do you do that? How do you turn on a show about mercy? God gives us a show every week on mercy. It's through the preaching of the word. It's through the teaching of the word. It's through the sacraments of Christ. It's through the fellowship of believers. God demonstrates his mercy in sinners like us when we gather together. He demonstrates his mercy through the preaching of the word. He demonstrates his mercy through the sacraments he's left us. Stay focused on mercy. People think, well, it doesn't matter whether I do this or that. Yes, it does. Stay focused on the mercies of God. We need constant reflection on the mercies of God. Number two, focus on the rational response. The rational response of being saved by the mercies of God. It's a crazy life if you don't focus 
on the mercies of God. It's, it's not spiritual service. It's not rational service. It's not logical service. It's crazy for you to say you're saved and not be different because of the mercies of God. So focus on what makes sense in this picture. I'm constantly asking myself, what's wrong with this picture? What's not logical? What's not rational? What doesn't make sense? And it doesn't make sense to run the way the world's running. You come back to what is logical and right by getting into the logical truth of God. Christ is the author and creator of logic, of what makes sense and what's right. And then three, focus on renewing your minds. You know, your minds don't keep it. Mine doesn't. God says, by the renewing of your mind, that implies that our minds don't stay full. They don't stay filled up. They don't stay on the right stuff all the time. We need our minds to be renewed. You don't have it all yet. It needs a renewal. Jesus says, those who are truly followers of mine, John 8, 31, he says, they stay in my word daily. Stay daily in the Bible. Don't forsake the weekly assembling together as is the habit of some. Be in the church weekly. Why? Renewal. We don't have it. We're going to be slack and dangerous without the renewal of our minds in the truth and word of God. So get into God's word daily. Stay in his church weekly. We need to stay in constant renewal before God. You can escape the bondage of fear. You can escape the bondage of addicted behavior. Through coming to Christ by receiving his mercies and then being motivated throughout your life by mercy. Let, let me pray. Father, there's such radical, life-changing truth in Romans 12. And we've just opened the lid on it. Father, forgive us for being so conformed to this world that we're just constantly running under fear. We're constantly drained, constantly distracted, and constantly depressed. Father, we of all people should be overflowing with love and joy and goodness and kindness and patience and tolerance. We of all people should be generous and kind because you have loved us so and overwhelmed us so with Christ. Forgive us of not being that holy part that's lived for you here on earth. Forgive us for thinking we were sufficient in ourselves and not needing time to be renewed by you. Father, we repent because you've been kind, because you've given mercy. Thank you. Don't, you don't condemn your own, but you draw us to yourself. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Make us so different that we're truly the light of the world. We're set on this hill, and people stream to Christ through us. For we ask in Christ's name, for his sake. 
Amen.